Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with the greatest of expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I didn't know Martha before I met her. She was on my list of visitation in a hospital. I found her in the ICU, and uh, she was b barely communicative. I mean, she couldn't talk much, okay? And so uh, what we did was visit momentarily, and then I prayed with her, and I left. A couple of days later, I returned, and she was in her own room at that time, laying in her bed with a a tray of uneaten food in front of her and an orange popsicle melting on the napkin. I approached her bed and she woke up. This time she spoke with me a little bit more. And so I asked her, Martha, what are the doctors telling you? And she said, they don't give me much hope. And I said, Martha, we are a people of hope. And her eyes brightened. And she said, yes, yes, indeed, we are. You see, the Israelites had, found, had lost all their hope. Jeremiah had been warning them and warning them if they did not turn from their evil ways, if they did not continue, did not quit making deals with their foreign governments around them, that they would surely be in a host of trouble. And so the Babylonians invaded them one day. They ravaged through their land and they took the brightest and the best among them and took them into exile, leaving the poor and the powerless to pick up all the broken pieces of what lay, was left of their land. They carted off King Zedekiah in chains and then they went into the temple and they smashed and demolished everything that was in there. They smashed the religious icons, the things that, that spoke of their culture, the things that drew them close to God. They smashed the sacred stones that held the very law of God on them. Yes, Jeremiah had warned them. But when this, these catastrophic events did finally occur, it was God that they lost faith in. You see, in their mind, God was the one who broke the covenant. Where is God now, they cried. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah who had once warned them, Jeremiah who once told them that they were headed for disaster now turns to a moment of comfort. And he writes to them and maintains that God's fidelity is still intact. In the book of Jeremiah, these words of comfort come in the 31st chapter, picking up with verse 31 through 34. Listen to what Jeremiah relays to them, the words of the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest says the Lord, for I will forgive their inequity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. In the midst of despair and destruction, God is doing a new thing. We can kind of identify with that, I think, in this last year. We have felt a lot of despair. We have felt a lot of destruction around us. God does this new thing in the midst of these times when we think we cannot see God. And for the Israelites, God paints hope where there is no hope. God gives life out of death, makes a way forward when there doesn't seem to be a way forward. It's not new for God. God's been doing this for some time. God renames Abraham and and Sarah to give them a new purpose in their life. God leads the Israelites out of bondage into the wilderness and then holds them by their hands so that they can become a new and strong people. But this promise, this promise is different because this promise is not outward. This promise is inward and it is eternal. This time, God's law will be written on their hearts, not on the stones that can be crushed and demolished by the enemy. These are the words that will be written on our heart, and they will become a very part of us. They will go with us wherever we go. In times of trouble, in times of struggle, God will be with us in our heart. No longer will the people have to know about God or teach one another about God because now we will know God inside us. The old covenant may be broken beyond repair, a covenant that the, that the people broke a long time before the Babylonians came in and crushed the stones in the temple courts. This new covenant will be different, God says. It will go with us. It will be in our hearts. It will be a part of us. Everyone will know this God because we are God's people, and God will be our God. From the least to the greatest, everyone will know. Our Lenten worship series is called Declutter. And it's all about hearts. It's all about how we declutter our heart to make room for this God who wants to take up residence within us and to know us intimately so that we might know God intimately. 
Jeremiah must have known something about the season of Lent. Well, probably not, because Jeremiah wrote about 500 years before Jesus was around. But surely Jeremiah understood everything that there was about repentance and the importance of repentance, the importance of turning our lives around so that we can once more fully face and engage with a God who wants us to walk in close relationship with God. This law that the prophet shares with the people is not like any other law that they have understood until that day. There is no obligatory limitations or constraints in this law. The Ten Commandments, which were given to them on stone, written by the hand of God and placed in their temples, was not necessarily a set of obligations, but an identity of who they were to be, and by these actions, others would recognize who they were. But this law is different. It's not about minding a set of actions. It's about entering into a relationship. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, God says. It's a different kind of law. It's the law of love, of loving, of acting in loving ways towards one another, towards the stranger, towards the neighbor, towards our family. This law of love, this relationship, is not limiting, but rather it is freeing. This week I read uh, from a commentator, Woody Bartlett, And he writes about what happens when this law that is engraved firmly on our heart, he says it's an adventure in freedom. He says it allows, this freedom allows us to act spontaneously, to know that our actions are going to reflect the very heart of the one who put that within us. That we can be self-assured that because what lives in our heart will also be seen in our actions. That we have the freedom to truly be who God created us to be. To be that character in the world which pleases God. Therefore, we will present the best of what the law requires in our actions. This week I read a devotion a devotional during our Lenten season in which the author reflects on the words of Micah 6 and Colossians 3. In this devotional, the author recognized that when he leans into Micah 6 and what the Lord requires of us, to love kindness, to act mercifully, and walk humbly with the Lord, that he is more likely to be an instrument of peace. He also recognizes that when he clothes himself in this love that Paul outlines in Colossians 3, this life that is woven together and stitched beautifully with love, that even in times of conflict, and they are inevitable, we are less likely to hurt one another. Even when we agree that we are not in the same position, we still walk away with less harm towards one another. 
loving one another, respecting and honoring one another, perhaps even transformed by one another. Through, though Jeremiah is not writing in the light of the gospel as Paul was, he is describing this paradox that we find in the gospel. Jesus demonstrates it by saying that the least will become the most important. And those who are most important might become last in this upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to give us. He says that if we must really find ourselves, we must first lose ourselves, give up our self-centered, self-deterministic nature, give up our position, our privilege, or our security. If we truly want to lead, we must first serve as Jesus did when he washed the feet of the disciples. At the root of acting out of love, losing myself, or loving and serving one another is the heart of God. To fully understand God is to love as Christ loves. Our first task before us is to know God, and during Lent we have every opportunity to do that. We are asked to go about a journey of self-examination to admit our failures and our shortcomings because we will have failures and shortcomings, to reorient ourselves towards a life of love, doing that which is good and kind and just. But it also means that we have to acknowledge that love in our lives every opportunity we get. We need to share it with one another. We need to share it with a sense of urgency, an attitude of genuine hope. The days of the Lord are surely coming, says the prophet. We can count on it. But before we get too complacent in this and we sit back and we let God do all the work and knowing that God will forgive and forget, God is calling us into action. God's requiring something of us. And that is to tear down the barriers that divide us. To love kindness. Practice mercy. Do justice. Walk humbly with God. I wonder if we can take time to get to know our neighbors, really get to know them, know their names, find out about their families, find out what gives them worry and keeps them awake at night and also what makes them laugh. Call them by name. We're starting a new ministry called Tons of Buns that'll happen every time we distribute groceries on our parking lot. And the sole purpose of giving these wonderful sweet treats and a hot cup of coffee is to do that, to learn our neighbor's name, to see them month after month or distribution after distribution and call them by name and ask about their wife and ask about their kid and ask about what worries them and laugh with them. And then we're asked to do justice, to have mercy, 
to lift up those who are oppressed. So I wonder what it looks like for us to pick up the phone and call a friend who suffers from depression just to let them know that they are still important to us. I wonder what it looks like to, to see the person walking on the street that doesn't act or behave like us, that makes us just a little bit nervous, and to approach them and to see them as God sees them. I saw one on the corner of 380 and 35. You've seen them there too many times. They, they walk that corner. They ask for help. And this particular day, this individual was particularly animated, singing and shouting and pointing and giving the thumbs up and the high fives or whatever he was doing. And people were getting more and more nervous. I saw the, the windows roll up. But as I watched him and studied him, I asked God to let me see him as God sees him. And all of a sudden, the Jesus in me saw the Jesus in him. And then my prayer had to be, oh God, let the Jesus in him see the Jesus in me. You see, it's about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. N.T. Wright this week put out this, this quote, I'm sure it's from his book, but there was a little meme out there and it said, our culture is so fixated on dying and going to heaven when the whole of scripture is about heaven coming to earth. Heaven on earth. After I met with Martha and she recognized and acknowledged that we were indeed a people of hope, she died that night. Martha had the benefit of recognizing and realizing everything she knew and understood about the kingdom of God that evening. But what she left with me was a realization that that kingdom of heaven is here, is now. It is both something that is to be, but it is also something that is here and now. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the mystery of our faith. That's the promise of this prophet that says the law will be written in our heart, and that's the hope of the heart. So this Lenten season, let's let God declutter our hearts and write this law of love in its place. May it be so. Amen.